Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation. I am thrilled to be starting a brand new mini-series, one that is near and dear to my heart. I'm calling it Reflections because next week this girl is turning 60. Yeah, 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 60. This transitional milestone going into a new decade is hitting me a little harder than the others, but I am really excited because I've never felt so comfortable in my own skin. And all the beautiful work and practices of our Speak Healing Words community are a direct result of uh, my pilgrimage through my emotional healing. And I am here front and center, front and line to say these practices, when we move in them and through them, They help us to live into our God-breathed potential and capacity. They draw us back home to our true essence, our true sense of self. And that is such, such a beautiful, beautiful practice. And I am so grateful to be able to guide each and every one of you on this journey. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for allowing me into your heart and into your life. And thank you for letting me be a guide and be a voice of hopefully maturity and hope and wisdom and authenticity and reality and at times a bit assertive. Too, because you know we all need a good kick in the pants every now and then. So I'm known to be a little tough, but a lot tender. So I'm happy about that. Our first series, our first episode in this series, I am calling Born an Empath. Yes. So my first reflection will be on my first decade of, decade of life, which would be zero to nine. And it is in this decade that I reflect back upon and I see, oh my goodness, I was truly an empathic, intuitive, highly sensitive child. And it helps to frame all of my life and all of the work that I now do. In my first book, in Rock Solid Families. I write this in uh, the first stone, the first stone of remembrance out of the 12 foundational stones, vision, that I can look back, way back to 1969. Oh my goodness. When I was a little 10-year-old girl and my soul was yearning, yearning for answers. And somewhere deep inside of my little girl heart that I know now as a very empathic little heart, I suspected my life wasn't normal. There just were hints 
all around. My family moved from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. My father was a Marine. My mother was one of the first women Marines in the first battalion in Paradise Island in Paradise, not Paradise, Paris Island, South Carolina in 1949. And so I was raised by these two Marines. But in 1969, we got orders and I was a happy little girl. I remember being loving my little life at Camp Lejeune and my mom sat us all down. My dad was, uh, I believe, um, off to war um, or conflict, as they called it back in the day. And she said, we have orders. We're moving to Norfolk, Virginia. And I sobbed. I just sobbed. I just, I'm going to miss Sheila Vaughn, my best friend. And I was just so sad. So we moved to Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, and I was seven turning eight at that time. And so life got a bit more complicated. As you know, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, A lot, a lot going on in my house. Brother and sister, quite a bit older, almost seven, almost eight years older than me. So in many ways, I was like an only child. Uh, But when we moved here, things got uh, really challenging, really difficult. And so I, at that time, was only seven, right? Only eight. And I, being a highly intuitive, highly empathic child, really noticed what's going on inside of this house. And one particular event I was sharing with one of my clients this week It was my sister's, I believe, her graduation day from high school, and my mom was on the phone, and all I could hear her saying was, oh, honey, take him. You can have him. I do not want him. He's yours. And I remember just standing in the living room, and my sister is sobbing. I don't know where my brother was, but no one stopped to explain to me what was going on, and I just remember standing there absorbing all of this painful, emotional stuff and thinking this just isn't normal. And as I've shared in other episodes, God planted my family on Lilac Avenue right next to a stable, beautiful home with a beautiful couple named Jack and Barbara and their daughter Phyllis and son Kurt. But Phyllis was a couple years younger than me and she just became my fast new friend. And I remember walking in their house and standing in their living room and not feeling or absorbing the same negative, unhealthy, emotional stuff. I felt secure. I felt safe. I felt uh, health. And Miss Barbara would every night would make Phyllis and I a bowl of strawberries and cream. And we would, there was just a sense of normalcy. Mr. Jack came home every day at five from working at the Ford plant. They had dinner together. The routine was stable. And I started to recognize and look and go, my house isn't like that house. And why do I feel different in my family than I feel over here? Why would I rather be over here than at my home? So these are all little signals that this little girl, this little red-headed, skinny, white, pale-faced child was highly empathic and experiencing quite a bit of conflict within her emotions. You know, I wondered, did every little girl pray for her daddy to stop drinking? I would hear my mother say, oh, I hope he doesn't kill anybody on the way home. 
But she never explained to me what that meant. And I've shared that before. So I would stay, I stood at the window and I just prayed to this God that I had seen in the stained glass windows of my Catholic church. And, and I would go, God, please don't let him hurt anybody. That would be just tragic. Did every little girl pray her mommy and daddy would stay together? My mom would leave and I would cling to her and scream and cry, please don't leave me. Did every little girl cry herself to sleep full of worry and despair? Somehow I didn't think that was so because my friend Phyllis didn't do that. My family of origin today would be labeled dysfunctional. I told you my father was an alcoholic. So this type of home environment infuses a sense of instability and insecurity. Will daddy come home drunk or sober? Will he come home at all? Will he show up at my school drunk and embarrass me? What will my friends think? Why won't he stop drinking? But somewhere underneath all of this empathic emotional feelings and questions was a dream, a vision. God in his infinite mercy looked down from heaven and whispered a dream into the depths of my heart. The dream of a normal family. He knew that one day this fiery little red-headed girl was going to grow up. Yeah, she was going to go through some bumps and bruises. She was going to make a whole lot of mistakes. She was also going to beat the odds of becoming another statistic. And she was going to be a champion of all things family. So empathy. What is all this talk about being empathic or being an empath all about. Well, I love how shame researcher and the brilliant uh, Brene Brown, who is a master on vulnerability and courage and um, empathy, and she just simply states it as a skill. It is a skill, an interpersonal relationship skill, where you feel what someone else is feeling. There are some people who are highly, highly attuned like myself, and there are others who have to really work and gain this skill. There are practices that you can put in place to to grow in empathy and compassion. Uh, The beautiful Dr. Judith Orloff, who is also on the front lines of understanding empathy. She wrote Thriving in Empathy. She wrote The Survival's Guide, uh, you know, as an empath. And I have read it front to back and back to front. She just talks about how empaths have a heightened nervous system. They react more quickly and strongly to external stimuli, including stress. So maybe in my story, you're hearing your story and you're going, oh, that's what that is. Maybe you're one of those grown-ups that when you were a child, people thought you were just too sensitive. You better get a thicker skin. Oh, she's so emotional. What a drama queen. Dr. Orloff explains that empaths feel too much. They have sensory overload and they have no emotional capacity as a child to process these emotions. I shared in my story how I I didn't understand when I was standing in that living room what I felt coming off my mother, the the, the duress, the stress, the anger, the... She was so emotionally flooded at that moment talking to this woman who was having an affair with my dad. My sister, on the other hand, is weeping because she too is 
so distressed over what's going on in one of her special days in her life. Empathic children are overstimulated. Their nervous system, is, it takes it longer. Hear me here. Lean in here. Do you hear any hints of perhaps this going on in your own life? Do you have a hard time after a big gathering of people or a family event? Does it take you longer to move from stimulation to quiet? I remember it taking me a long time to fall asleep as a child. Still to this day, people would say, oh, you're such a night owl. I'm like, my, I, I have a hard time turning down my hyper-vigilant, hyper-stimulated nervous system. I absorb others' emotional discomforts so easily. Judith Orloff continues and says that empathic children are super responders. They might cry if another child falls down and is hurt. They feel deeply, yet they know not how to screen it out. They don't know how to diffuse this big emotional bomb that's going off in their little tiny bodies. And empathic children cope by retreating into solitude so they can self-soothe or self-regulate the sensory overload. I had to learn to self-soothe because I wasn't getting that from my maternal caregiver. Nothing against my mother. There was probably just no, she didn't understand herself. So I've had to learn to self-soothe in my life. And I definitely, if you know me, I definitely isolate when I'm overwhelmed or I go into solitude. I used to shut down, the shame shutdown. I used to shut down because I didn't know how to deal with it. But now that I've worked through understanding this empathic, intuitive nature, I still need times of great solitude and I need these times to recharge and to carefully a process and emotionally regulate. So maybe you're thinking about this time, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a friend of an empath, maybe you are an empath. Some questions that Dr. Orliff offers to, to kind of put your hand to the pulse and say, is my child an empath? Am I an empath? Is my friend an empath? Here are some questions she, she offers. Does he or she feel things deeply? Does he or she get overstimulated by people, crowds, noise, or stress? Does he or she have strong reactions to sad and frightening scenes in books or movies? Oh my goodness. I have to share this little insight. When I was a first grade teacher way back in 1984, I had the most wonderful little class of first graders. And one, I will just say her name was Sally. She was just so dear and so precious and so empathic. I looked into the mirror of my soul when I looked in Sally's little soul. And we were studying Pinocchio by Carlo Crelotti. And I thought it would be a grand idea to show the Disney Pinocchio movie to the class when we were done studying it. Well, there's that huge scene where the whale swallows Pinocchio and oh my goodness gracious, little Sally just started to sob. 
and I had to remove her from the room and we sat out in the hallway and I rocked her and calmed her down and realized Sally did not need to see this movie. She was so distressed about Pinocchio's plight. And so I had to explain to her parents and they're like, oh yeah, she's, you know, I don't, we didn't know the word empath at that time. She's just so sensitive and so sweet. And so that was just too much for her. And I felt so bad because I didn't know. But I did know deep down that, oh, yeah, that is distressing. And I think I was a lot like Sally. Does he or she feel she wants to escape and hide from family gatherings because there's too much going on? Does he or she feel different? Okay, let's just go back to that one for a second. So does he or she want to escape and hide from family gatherings because there's too much going on? Like, does she run into um, uh, the bedroom and go get in her bed? Or does she go hide in a corner? Or does she just remove herself and go into another room? Um, is she here? She is doing that because she's flooded because she's feeling something in the undercurrents of this family gathering that it's too much for her little body to contain. Does he or she feel different than other kids or complain that she or he is not fitting in? Is he or she a good listener? and compassionate with others. Are others coming to your son or daughter because they listen? So then you have to beware for your son or daughter they're taking on too much. Does he or she surprise you with intuitive comments about yourself or others? Oh, I have a lot of clients that have intuitive children and it is just astounding. And I'm like, you're just not going to be able to get away with anything. They are sensing it. And this is how we have to handle this. Is he or she a good listener and compassionate with others? Does he or she have a strong connection to nature, plants, animals, or stuffed animals? Oh, goodness. This is such an indicator. I, when I was reflecting right on this born and empath, when I was reflecting on our, on our conversation today, I thought about how much care I gave to this beautiful little mimosa tree. My step-grandfather gave it to me. And I remember, I, I have a picture, I'll try to find it, of me leaning over it, watering it, looking at it, taking care of it. And there was a bad storm coming. And I remember it was only maybe a foot tall. And I was so scared, you know, living on the East Coast, hurricanes. And I just, I was like, we've got to, I've got to help this, make it through that hurricane. And I took a big trash bag and I put it over the tree. And I, I got it into the ground so that the bag was protecting it. That's about all I can re recollect and reflect. But I definitely remember in my little soul of seven and eight years old, because it was in that, it was at that house in Lilac Avenue. I do remember that. And I remember just going, oh, I've got to save this little tree and protect it. So there's this empath. There's this little soul that's got this huge, huge capacity to want to help others already brewing deep down. Does he or she require a lot of time alone rather than playing with other kids? Yeah, I can remember weeding. Weeding was my job and I there was a patio, a concrete patio, and I remember just feeling so safe and loving the weeding process, loving being alone and getting the ugly weeds that were coming out around and coming onto the concrete. Another reflection at seven or eight, because we were at, we were once again at that Lilac Avenue house, and 
just remembering being alone and listening to the wind and listening to the birds and just being very at ease and comfortable. Does he or she take on a friend's stress or upset? Does he or she take on your own or other people's emotions or stress and act out when you're angry, upset, or depressed? Does he or she have one best friend or a few good friends rather than a large social network? Well, I had my friend Phyllis for quite a few years, and then I had another friend from about sixth grade through through college that I would have considered my deepest friend. And so I definitely indicated that as well. And still to this day, I tend to only have a few, I mean, couple intimate deep friends and uh, I might have a large social network or I have a large social group but when it comes to getting intimate and being really safe and authentic it's um it's more rare and we talked about that in an earlier episode so it's very important to recognize uh these qualities and characteristics of an empathic person And maybe you recognize yourself in this, or maybe you recognize it, like I've said, in another family member or another person. And it's very important in how we communicate and how we deal with these people and how we have a relationship with these people, um, myself (laughs) included. And so one of the guards that I like to put up is just please don't say to that person, you need to say no. You're doing too much. You need to grow a thicker skin. You are way too sensitive. And what did you notice in how I said this? You know, in an earlier episode, we talk a lot about prosody. So there is a way to manage and handle and love and accept an empath in life. And one of the greatest greatest gifts, you know, that I think that I've been given by those in close to me is just a real deep sense of love and care and belonging. And they'll come to me and say, you are taking on too much, but their prosody, their tone of voice is tender. And sometimes it is a little tough, but it's because they have my best interest in heart and they love me. And they'll just gently say, remember, Janelle, you know, their problem isn't your problem. You can walk alongside of them. You can guide them, but don't take it on. Don't wear it. So there's a beautiful scripture that in that tells us to bear one another's burdens, right? To bear it. And, you know, my husband just had shoulder surgery and I, I've talked about how I love to lean on my husband. He is a safe place for me. He helps me manage my empathic, intuitive gift. And with his shoulder in a sling, I can't lean on the one I normally do because it's his left shoulder and I usually sleep on the right and I usually walk on the right um, to his left. And so... It's brought to mind again, this bear one another's burdens, yes. But we always want to remember that we aren't shouldering another person's burdens alone. 
We have to make that all-important spiritual transaction to take the burdens of others off of our shoulders because we are weak. We can't carry everybody's burdens on our shoulders. We have not been built to carry everybody's burdens on our shoulders. Everybody's business is not our business. Everybody's burdens are not our burdens. We are to shoulder them. Yes, we are to offer uh, love and help and care and compassion, but we must be sure to transition and transfer them to God's shoulders. Because God's shoulders are strong, strong enough to carry the government of the world on them, it says in Isaiah 6. Or is it Isaiah 9? Double check me on that. Not really sure. It's either 6, 9 or 9, 6. But he carries the weight of the world on his shoulders, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. So an empath has to learn how to make that beautiful spiritual transition, transaction shift and say, God, I care deeply, but I don't care too much. So I want to make sure that we don't close out this beautiful conversation about empathy without reminding not only ourselves personally, but even professionally, maybe in the workplace or in the church community or in our families, uh, that we have a responsibility to care for others, but we are not called to care too much. That's the shadow side. That's the unhealthy side. That's the more toxic, dysfunctional side of being an empath or being a compassionate person is not to care too much. And caring too much has gotten me into a whole lot of hot messes and trouble. I have put my nose where it doesn't belong on many occasions. I have made other people's business my business when it was none of my business. I have cared too much. So I want to leave us with this beautiful thought that we are to move through life in a beautiful way, in an empathic way, to love others, to love them well, but not to love them too much. We have to know when to step back. We have to know when we are getting enmeshed. We have to know how to set boundaries. And we're going to talk about all this on future episodes. So for today, I want you to know that I care about you, but I have learned not to care too much. And that's a beautiful way to move through life. So as I reflect today, I want to remind you, my friend, that you have value, worth, and dignity and that you are clothed in strength and dignity and that you have a future that is so beautiful that you can smile at it. So I'll see you next time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.